So we're going to begin kind of today. Today's almost a transitionary Sunday between our last series and our new series. Our last series, we, we looked at the parables, especially as Jesus taught on the kingdom of God. So it was kind of Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like that. Um, but we're done with that series. It's, it felt like it was sometimes it's quite a heavy series because Jesus touched on really heavy things. Um, and sometimes I think we would just like to speak about nice things. But if we're just going to follow Jesus, then sometimes we deal with the real things that affect our lives. And so we're done with that. It'd be good to go back from time to time and listen to some of those things. But we're going to start a new series. And this new series is kind of living in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live out the kingdom of God? Taking all those things into account, um, what does it mean? And so today I'm going to do a transition, kind of set the scene for what we're going to do. Today will be lighthearted. There's no deep theology today, no big text today. Um, but rather just setting the stage for what we will talk about. Everyone good with that? All right. So let's remind ourselves. And, and this came out of a conversation that, that I had with Aaron Wazalewski. And it comes out of a conversation that Linda regularly has with me about what is the vision of our church? Because I think sometimes we just keep going on and we forget what our vision is. And we, we look at other things and other groups and what are they doing why, are we, why do we exist? What, what are we about? Why are we doing what are we doing? Are we just every day, every week thinking, I wonder what we'll talk about today. I wonder what's a good idea. Throw a few scriptures up in there. Catch one and think, oh, we'll teach from that. Rather than understanding that we have a definite plan, we have a definite strategy that we are wanting to do as a church. Understanding as well, and I'm hoping that people will be listening to this on the podcast that our church is made up of a very unique group of people currently. The majority of you are families with small kids, and you're all trying to establish careers. So that creates its own complexity in terms of time and busyness and vacations and all sorts of things that happen. So we have to work with what we have to do the vision that we feel God has given us. Our prayers that God adds all sorts of people into the mix. But we add because we go about doing what God calls us to do, not because we say, well, let's have a good program this Sunday or this Tuesday. No, it's about something else. So what is our vision? If you go on our website, it says our vision is to live as disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles. Now, that's kind of a broad statement. Um, so unpacking it a little bit is that we want we want to make and form disciples who have the ability and the willingness to go out and make disciples. Is that fair enough? We are disciples. We are being formed into the image of Christ as disciples. And we have a willingness and an ability to go out and interact with our world to make new disciples. That's the Great Commission. The very last words of Jesus. The Great Commission is go into your world and make disciples. To not go and make disciples is not to fulfill the mandate that God gave every believer and his whole church. That's our vision. How do we go about that? Well, we announce, we preach the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come. Then Jesus, the reign of God has come and we can enter it and, in, and enjoy the fullness of what God is doing. We preach it. We live it. 
We live kingdom lives, and we're going to look at some of those things that affect us. And we enact the kingdom of God, which means when we come across sick people, we pray for them. When we come across demonized people, we pray for them. When we find someone who's homeless, we care for them, etc., etc. So we announce, we live, and we enact the things of the kingdom. That's our vision. In many ways, you don't need a whole lot of programs to do that. What we need is each person to be caught on fire with what God has said and go into your world and be a disciple and be a God person wherever you are. That your light shines, that your salt flavors wherever you go. We know that historically right now in, our, in the world, in the church, there are lots of programs that are having lots of people attend. But actually, most of the pastors of the big churches, the ones who are serious and having a look at themselves saying, we actually haven't produced anything. I know Bill Harbles is in trouble at the moment, but he, he wrote a book. He's writing a book. He's like, I've, I have the biggest church in America and we did not produce disciples. They asked Billy Graham, if you had your life over again, what would you do? I'd take 12, pen, 12 people and train them. So we, we have this opportunity. We can be strategic about what we're doing. This, and as we are here and wanting to help you, develop you, help you mature so that you can live God life, Jesus life, kingdom life, wherever you are and make disciples. I mean, it's, in some ways, it's quite simple, isn't it? It's actually just fulfilling the mandate of Jesus. In another way, it's totally complicated. Because it kind of gets embarrassing. Especially in the world that we live in now. And life is full and life is busy, etc., etc., etc. But that's our vision. That's, what we're gonna, that's the line we're going down. That's the road we are walking. We're not going to swerve to the left. And we're not going to swerve to the right. From time to time, we'll add a program. We'll add something in to help us along the way. So we added in emotionally healthy spirituality as a way to help us in a specific thing. Who knows what else we can add. But it want, those things are to help us. Be disciples, live as disciples, grow as disciples so that we can make disciples. We're not shifting from that. We're not, oh, we're not, let's try something else because we, we no, that's what we, we're sticking with that plan. The mission of the church as given by Jesus is what Shelley read to us. That all authority because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. And on the basis of that, he says, you, therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you ask, what's it there for? It's on the basis of his authority over heaven and earth, all authority, therefore, you go. You, the people I've chosen, with your doubts, because the verse before says they doubted, with your doubts, you go. And you go fulfill this mission. Actually, quite simple. When we lose that, we lose the essence of what it means to be God's people in the world. And we don't want to do that. So, if we look at the life of Jesus, just, I kind of, I've been, this, this week I've just, stuff been rolling through my head. And there's, there's a kind of like six aspects to the life of Jesus. Maybe there are more, and maybe it's, I'm being too formulaic. But there's kind of like six aspects to the life of Jesus that we can learn. One is we can learn how he was formed into kingdom living. Because Jesus came as a baby. He was raised in a family. There was a, but he had to be formed. Then he came and he announced the kingdom. He came and said the good news, the kingdom is at hand. 
But then he also taught about the kingdom. So we looked at the parables, the Sermon on the Mount. That was Jesus teaching about the kingdom. So he was shaped into a kingdom life, becoming the king. He announced that the kingdom was at hand. He taught what that kingdom looks like. Then he enacted that kingdom and did things to show this is what kingdom life looks like. Prostitutes get loved. Sick people get healed. Demonized people get set free. Uh, rubbish tax collectors are welcomed in. Skniving Zacchaeus who are short up a tree, they also get welcomed in. Whatever. He enacted the life of the kingdom. But then he also lived a lifestyle of the kingdom. He prayed and he fasted and he waited upon God and he had all these things. And then sixthly, there's kingdom opposition. There were things that were opposed to the, the force of the kingdom coming to bear in our world. And so our next series of what it means to live in this kingdom or to live kingdom lifestyles, we're going to look at some of those things. We might not do so much of the things that Jesus taught because we, we've just done the series on the parables. But we're going to look at some of the other things. And so what I want to do is go through the, that list of things that I think we will cover. That's increased a little bit, Brian, since you and I spoke. It could change. I could subtract. I could add. But I, I, I've really been saying, God, what is it that you want us to look at that will help us in the world that we live in and to shape us to live in that world that you've given us? Um, let me read something from Rick Warren. Do you know who Rick Warren is? Saddleback Church, Southern, down in Orange County, one of the biggest churches in America. What's the famous book he wrote? Like the purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life. One of the great problems in churches today is the perpetual immaturity of the members. Too many Christians grow old without growing up. It is possible to attend church your entire life and never grow into Christ-like maturity. It takes far more than sermons to produce a disciple. To live a kingdom life, we must love the Lord with all our heart and emotion, all our soul, our volition, all our mind, our intellect, and all our strength, our physical body. We must grow in knowledge and perspective, knowing, conviction and character, being, and skills, doing. This journey of spiritual formation is neither quick nor easy. It takes time, the word, intentionality, discipline, community, and opportunities for ministry and mission. Pretty good. Sums it up. We want to produce disciples. Our goal is not to have church goers. That's not our goal. We want disciples. Disciples gather. That's why we gather, because disciples gather. Disciples need to be instructed and encouraged. And stirred. That's why we do this. We don't do this because this is what we want to do. We do this because this is a means to a greater end of being God's people in the world. And also when we gather, we represent something of what the future will look like of God's people coming together. Are we all on the same page so far? So, I'm going to give you these things. They're in no particular order. As I say, I could change them. We could add to them. Uh, we'll see who's we're going to add, who's going to be teaching some of these. But here we go. Number one, know the story that you're a part of. We're going to take a son and look at the story we are part of. And, it, and the subtitle, I've tried to say something and give each one a subtitle. I've done a lot of thinking. Where do we or I, where do I fit in? 
Because often we just go to church, but where do I fit in? Or where does our church fit in? Or where does our denomination fit in? We want to know the story that we're a part of, the story of God. The story gives us hope and expectation, and it anchors us into a great history. We want to look at that. It's really important. One of the questions that people ask in the world, all sorts of people, who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? Those sort of questions. Hopefully we'll say this is the story we belong to. This is not some sort of flash in the pan thing. Number two, we're going to talk about Sabbath. Now, we've touched on it briefly. We've looked at it in terms of if you've done emotional, healthy spirituality. But we want to look at Sabbath. And Sabbath is letting go and trusting and honoring God. Slowing down so that you can connect with God. Now, maybe we'll do that in one. Maybe that becomes more than one. But we're going to look at the issue of Sabbath. Three, we're going to look at the the issue of accountability. Now, in our church, for those who've been around a long time, accountability can be a really, really bad word. But it's actually a really good word. Because what it's saying is, will you walk with me and help me change as a person? That's what accountability means. And accountability is never anything that's demanded. It's always something that's offered. I offer myself Can I be accountable? Will you hold me accountable? It's not me as the leader saying, Chad, you better be accountable to me. No, that's not what we're doing. It's Chad saying, will you hold me accountable so that I can change and become the person that God wants me to become? So we're going to look at the issue of accountability. Fourthly, we're going to look at the issue of belonging, which is I can't do this by myself. I need to be part of a family, a community that does it together, which is different, a little different from accountability because accountability can be between two people. But belonging says I'm part of a broader family and we are doing this together and all our gifts and all our things go into this melting pot to help us become and be the people of God. Um, Five, rhythmic practices. And I don't mean ballet and tambourine dancing. Um, I mean the practices of spirituality, whether it's silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and all those things that help us to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. We need those things. I just, just briefly, I think that a, a, you, to look at your life and say, I, there's no time in my life or there isn't, I'm not praying is actually a really serious thing. Prayer is that one thing that connects you to God and allows you to speak to him and him to speak to you is prayer. So we're going to look at things like that. Rhythmic practices, staying in step with the Holy Spirit. What, is, what, is, what do those rhythmic practices do? One, they take care of your soul and they connect you to God. One of the things we've been learning in the last year and a half is the idea of con- caring for yourself. Not, in, not, not that we become all this individualistic sort of stuff, but caring for my soul. And I'll touch that again in a moment so that I can be something outward. So number one, know the story that you're a part of. Two is Sabbath. Three is accountability. Four is belonging. Five is rhythmic practices. I had daily practice, but I realized some of those practices are not daily. Some of them are weekly, whatever. The sixth one, redeeming work. Redeeming the understanding of work. Honoring God's mandate to humanity to work. What does that look like? What does that mean? What does that look like in our context of the world that we currently live in? We're going to look at the issue of work. Number seven, tell your story. Because when you tell your story, you remember everything that God has done. And that's what you tell someone else. You link your life into the broader story, but you tell your story and remember. 
So when I, t- give, when I give my testimony to someone, what I'm doing is I'm remembering what God has done for me. I remember the day that God stuck his finger upon me and said, yes. And I respond, oops, and I responded. So we're going to tell our story. Number eight, we're going to look at time and money. I'm not going to make a big series of it, like a, one talk. It's a litmus test. Time and money is a litmus test of where we are. Jesus actually said that. Number nine, emotional and relational healing, which is a course that we're running, but we'll touch on it. It's the idea of how do you love your neighbor as yourself? If you get emotionally healthy, inwardly, you, you, enable, you love yourself better, you can love your neighbor better. You can interact with your neighbor better. Number 10, practical service. Be a blessing. God said to Abraham, I'll, bless, I'll be a blessing to you, you be a blessing outward. Huh? Practical service. Deals with this issue of power that we sometimes have. When we, but when you just do practical service into the world and into those who are less fortunate, it helps you. Goodness gracious. There's a demon in the microphone. Number 11, suffering. Formation and the fight for joy and expectation. Well, look at suffering because everyone asks about it all the time. How does suffering fit into this idea of being a disciple? Our world is full of suffering, etc., etc. What does that look like? Let's, let's talk about it, at least briefly, and maybe point to resources that can help us. The next one, the least of these, joining the mission of Jesus. Now, we touched on that a little bit when we did the parables. We'll look at some other things. The least of these is part of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Number 13, doubt. Anchoring faith and belief and leading us back to God. Doubt. Now, I read... I want, someone once said to me a number of years ago that my... I mean, it's on, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it was like, my confidence and my, my thing that I'm so sure of what I believe in that, that I'm saved, etc., is actually causing other people to be insecure. Do you remember that? And I thought about that often. And I thought, well, am I just so secure that it's become like an arrogant thing? You know? And then I, I read this by Dallas Willard. He said, religious fanatics always lack the humility of uncertainty. And so, to you here, to the, those who will listen, by this definition, I have been a religious fanatic. And I apologize for that. Because no one likes a religious fanatic. Isn't that right? No one likes a religious fanatic, especially in our nation right now. Now, I can't undo the certainties that I have, you know, but there are doubts. There are doubts in certain areas. And so let's look at doubt as part of our walk with Jesus. That text that Shelley read, the Great Commission, is that Jesus appears. They've seen him risen. They've seen him, all these things, his disciples, and he arrives and they fall down and worship. And in that, some doubted. So where does that fit in? Is it something evil? Well, let's look at that. Number 14 is the issue of obedience, loving Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. The Great Commission says, when you make disciples, baptize them into a Trinitarian nature, then teach them how to observe, how to, whichever translation to observe, to obey the things that I've taught you. We are, we, we, we're called to teach people how to obey Jesus, not to obey the leaders. All right? To how to obey Jesus. 
We don't teach people how to obey Jesus. And that means we have to maybe talk about prayer. So you can, what is Jesus actually saying? Might mean you have to learn how to read the Bible. What is Jesus saying? Because the goal is of a disciple is to obey Jesus. It's actually one of the ways to demonstrate your love for Jesus is to obey him. And we don't like that word in our world anymore either. But it happens to be a Jesus word. So what does that look like? Let's talk about that. And then lastly, is this all right, Brian? Lastly, fruitfulness and faithfulness. Can you know that you're actually growing? That you are maturing? Look at this, your fruitfulness and faithfulness. That's going to be the next series along those lines. I don't know what order yet. We'll add in talk speakers, etc., etc. But I'm hoping it will help us. I'm hoping we'll, we'll be able to deal with some of the real issues that we face as a, as, a, as a disciple in the world that we live in. Now, there could be things we'll touch on. If we get, I, I, I'm thinking like when you get to the one on Sabbath, I don't want to rush it. So if it feels like we're going to push it to another week, we're going to push it to another week. Is that all right? We are, um, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. We're just on a long, slow, steady walk Following Jesus, growing, maturing, we don't want to rush things. We want to make sure that the things we talk about, we're truly gripping, understanding, and applying. There was a man um, by the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz. He was a, a preacher in South America, a big Pentecostal preacher. And I hope I've got a justice if anyone listens to this. Many years ago, in the 70s, big church, and he, people came as such a great speaker. And God arrested him one day. And so he got up to speak, and his message was, love your neighbor. And he sat down. And people were like, what? Normally a 40-minute, what? Love your neighbor. Next Sunday, he got up, and he said, what? Love your neighbor. Because that's what God said. Love your Two months later, got up on Sunday. Love your neighbor. So people began to get the point. Oh, God has actually wanted us to love our neighbor. It's not just a good idea. That's what he wants. This understanding that we don't have to rush something. God has got something to say. Why has he got something new to say if we don't obey what he's already said? Love your neighbor. So after two months, roughly, um, um, he felt the Lord release him. So he got a new message for you. Oh, praise God. The message is love your neighbor as yourself. Then God challenged him to build a house for the cleaning lady the same as he had. So he did. What do you think that did to the community and the church? And Amazing things happen. Just slow and steady. That's what we're going to be about. Slow and steady. We're not in a rush. We are, we are going to try and stay in pace with what God wants for us. And one step at a time. And we're going to do this the best that we know how and apply it. Um, but I also want to say this. That famous saying that's been around some proverb that someone whoever gave it. It says, you can take a horse to water. What's the rest? You can't make a drink. We can, as elders, say, this is where we're going with the church. This is what we feel God is saying. These are the steps to living as a disciple and growing as a disciple. But we can bring that as much as we like until we blew in the face and we've run out of air and everything. But we can't make you or I. We can't make us do it. We actually have to do it. Is that all right? And so the encouragement is and along this journey that you will say, I am going to embrace this and I'm going to begin and I'm going to embark on this journey 
with this group of people because they're the ones that are going to hold me accountable and I'm going to be part of this and they're going to stir me and encourage me, etc. It says, so that we can be Jesus' people. Here's my serious moment. Can I be a, this is the serious moment. I've tried to be lighthearted with some serious material, but this is the serious moment. This is not a game. This is not a religious game. This is not fulfilling some religious duty so that we can feel good about ourselves. This is being God's people in His world for His sake and His glory. Does that make sense? That's what this is about. This is not a joke. This is not a game. This is serious. So we're going to be serious about it with, with a smile. Joy as much as we can find. Has anyone read Orthodox? Have you read Orthodoxy by Chesterton? The last section of Orthodoxy, if you remember it, it says, it's like... So let me give you an illustration. Imagine Tila's my daughter and Tehila gets a life-threatening disease and she's in hospital and she's dying. And then a doctor comes to me and says, we have found the absolute cure. It's guaranteed, 100%. But Tehila's in such bad shape, her resistance is so low, everything is so down, that I don't want to get her hopes too high just yet, just in case. But the doctors assured me, and inside I am so joyous, I am bursting, I want to laugh. It's so, such good news. But when I go speak to Tehila, I say, man, they think they've got something, I think it's going to be really good. But when I step outside the room, Linda and I just laugh and laugh and laugh because we know this has come to an end. Well, orthodoxy ends with that idea that behind the veil, God is laughing. He's full of mirth because he knows how it ends. And we want to be those people because we know the story. We know where we fit into the story. And though it's tough and there's suffering, joy rises up. And we can laugh. Yeah, we know the end. I know it's hard, but we know the end. It's a beautiful thing. That's where joy flows. And it doesn't mean I feel happy all the time. It just means that there's this deep-seated joy, content. Oh, I just want to burst out laughing because I know. And when people want to slap me in the face and tell me, no, you're talking rubbish. This is all pie in the sky. I I need to be serious with them. I can't laugh at them. That would be rude, wouldn't it? have to be serious and take them through the journey or trying to believe but behind the scenes I want to laugh no no God wins it's a sense of where we are so the seriousness but rich in joy and we want that to flow through our little community because when you take that into your world people find that attractive if you miss part of the series please listen to the podcast so that you stay in step. Ah, oh, that's what we're talking about. It's helpful these days to have a podcast. In the old days, you just had to go read the Bible. But now you can listen to a podcast in the busyness of life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And just so that you know that we are thinking and planning and praying, at the end of the series, we already have the next series. Unless God changes it. We're going to look at 1 Peter, the book 1 Peter. So... Start looking at that if you want. Any questions? Any questions you might have? We're under 30 minutes at the moment, and that was with the introduction.
First and the fourth. Well, the first is know the story that you're a part of. The fourth is belonging. Well, they're connected. All of these are connected. So number one says, I want to know the story that I'm up. The story of God, the, the, the redeeming work of God, the salvation work of God throughout history to bring it to the culmination. I'm part of a bigger story. My life counts as part of that story. I'm not the center of the world. Belonging says, me as an individual, I can't live this by myself. God puts me into a family so that I can work out my faith and be encouraged and stirred and built up, etc. This part, you can't separate them, they're connected, but we, they're different parts of it. So accountability then would be taking that even one step further down to an individual. It can be at a community level, but at an individual where I, I go to Chad and I say, Chad, would you hold me accountable in this area? Would you keep encouraging me? Would you help me? That no one else may, might not know, but I want to entrust this to Chad. Would you help me through this area? Levels. Is that right? Any other questions? Please do ask. You know, the ad, Brian. All right. Father, you're amazing. You're amazing how you set this all in motion, and you're amazing how you kept it going and it's amazing when we think of how one day you're going to pull it all together in perfection in perfect love in perfect joy in perfect understanding it's going to be glorious help us we pray your people individuals families community part of this larger thing called your body your bride your army your building all the different your priesthood different words you use to describe this amazing people that you've called your own. We thank you for that. Help us. Help us to become worshippers and lovers of Jesus. Help us to be those as we respond to the Great Commission that we entrench ourselves in the Great Commission and we entrench ourselves in Trinitarian life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.